0: There's three things in college that you're going to experience. You've got the academic side, you've got the athletic side. I'm talking about if you're a student athlete, obviously. And you have the social side. And there's just enough time for you to be great at two of them, two of the three. There's really not enough for you to be great at all three.
1: This is
0: The Tournament
1: Code. We appreciate you taking the time to join us, Coach Craig. We're going to talk a little bit about your business. We're going to talk a little bit about your coaching. But before we get there, let's start where we start with every guest, which is how'd you get into the game of golf?
0: Well, I grew up in Gastonia, North Carolina, which is about 20 miles west of Charlotte, a little small town, home of James Worthy, basketball legend from the you know Lakers and, and UNC Chapel Hill. And uh, we lived right off a of golf course, Gaston Country Club. So my dad kind of played, but you know, not a lot, just a little bit, and and I just got involved out there. They had a great junior program. There's a there's a head pro out there named Bruce Sudreth who who now is Bruce is in his 80s, but still teaches a few days a week. Uh, taught Harold Varner, who's on the PGA tour. Uh, taught Alex Goff, who's doing great for the University of Kentucky right now. is a, a stud, and uh, we had a great junior program. So I just got in it and had a lot of friends playing, and just just fell in love with it.
1: And you got pretty good. You know, a lot of college coaches, you know, have played golf. Somewhere, or at least have some sort of golf background. And as we'll get to, you coached it, UK. But not all the times are college go- are college golf coaches were they that good a golfer? And you were a pretty good golfer, junior and collegiately. Tell us about your path to playing golf. Well, I, I had a, a a rocky path,
0: you know, to be honest with you. And I think that was one of the things that I could share when I became a college coach with with the the young people that there's some things that I did that they shouldn't do. And, and, and so I was a good junior player. I, I, I really kind of – I might have had a one little time in there when I was probably 14 that I hit a slump, but it didn't last that long. For the most part, it was kind of keep getting better. And by the time I was entering college, you know, I, I had done a few pretty good things and won some nice tournaments and, and uh, you know, was a was a pretty good player. And, and then I go to University of Florida, great program, played with great players, got – Probably about half the playing time as a freshman, and then I hit the skids. And and when I hit the skids, I didn't handle it well. And that's that's what I've shared with the players before. Is I I got off the 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 path that you should be on. I wasn't practicing as hard. I wasn't working as hard. When the team was away, instead of doing what I needed to do to get better, you know, I fell away a little bit to some of the temptations of college of college life, and and just you know, you're away from home. You can kind of do what you want, right? You're 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 free. And uh, luckily for me, I did get back on the track later in my career and finished on a positive note. But I had a, bi- a big chunk in there that I, you know, I, re- I have regrets that I wish I would have handled a little bit differently than I did.
2: While you were in college, did you kind of look at college golf as something that you wanted to be involved with for the rest of your life? Or were you focused on other things at that time?
0: No, I was I was a golfer. I mean, I was a guy. Go- admittedly, I was a golf nerd. I lived and breathed it, loved it. And and even even in college. Even though I, I had, you know, a big slump in college where I really played poorly and, and certainly not up to the standard that I was used to playing. I still felt like at some point in time I'd turn it around and and hopefully, you know, things would would uh, would go in my direction. And then I would you know give professional golf a try, which I which I did for for three and a half years when I got out of college. But but even at that, I, you know, when I first got out of college, I worked for a year on Hilton Head Island with my best friend because I wasn't 100 percent sure that I was ready to. You know, commit to that because, as you guys know, it's a huge lifestyle commitment. It's a big. You know, there's lots of sacrifices. You, you, if you don't have, you know, family money, you're gonna have to raise a lot of money, which we needed to do. So, but I did decide to do that eventually. But it wasn't directly out of college, like most kids. You know, they're straight from college to professional. I had a year in between to kind of, you know, figure out if that's really what I wanted to do or not.
1: Your story sounds a lot like another Florida Gator we had on, which is Mud Man Jesse Mud. Similar thing top junior player and never hit a slump and then got to Florida and hit a hit a slump had a little bit of a rough time and then same thing after he finished school he wasn't sure whether he's going to go on and play and decided to take a year doing some work eventually played some and then ended up in college coaching what did that time you know you know going through the slump then figuring out hey I'm going to play professional golf what did you learn through that time well one
0: is that you you can't ever give up when you're playing bad, you feel like it'll never end, and that's not true. And when you're playing good, you feel like it'll never end, and that's probably not true either. So you, you learn a little perspective there, but more than anything, you just learn how important grit is, not giving up, not giving in, being able to keep fighting the, the fight. And even though you're getting beat up and knocked down every single day for sometimes months, even years on end, you just got to keep at it. And, 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 and I had a stretch in there, like I said, where I just did, I didn't handle that very well. And I was young and, you know, immature and, and all that. And, and, and I'm so thankful that I ended up coming out of that. Cause I, uh, I really would have had big regrets if I had just finished just on that note, I'd have been like, wow, that was, that was a big waste, <laughs> you know? Uh, and luckily it didn't end up that way. But let me, let me tell you this, you know, Mudman Jesse Moe, was my assistant for a while and, and he's a great friend of mine, and. This is this is golf. I mean, this is this. Like, I was a really good junior player, but I didn't have near the talent that Jesse had. I mean, Jesse was one of the five best junior players I've ever seen play golf with my own eyes. And when I was here, and I tried to recruit him, he didn't even give me the time of day. Like, he he literally went to visit Florida, and my old coach, Buddy Alexander, who I also coached with down there, he took. It's the only visit he took. You know, he took one visit, University of Florida, they gave him a full scholarship, and he's a gator. Like that, I mean, like, I couldn't even get this kid. He's 60 miles, 70 miles down the road. I couldn't even get him to come hardly even answer an email, to be honest with you. But that's how good he was. He he was just a tremendous player. And you know, sometimes that happens. Look at David Duval, look at Ann Baker Finch. You know, there's there's been there's been a number of guys that just golf sometimes it it just bites, gets up and it bites you and and it really humbles you (laughs) and i got humbled so i know what it's like
1: when you decided to stop playing professional golf what was the catalyst for that
0: you know i've shared this story a number of times over the years because it it really is it really is how professional golf is so i was always a good 100 yards and in guy and just kind of hit it okay didn't hit it that far kept it in front of me but really didn't put a lot of pressure on the golf course to shoot low scores. So you can get through junior golf like that. You can even get through college golf to a certain degree like that. But then I'm playing professional golf, and the last year I played was 1996, I believe. It was the Golden Bear Tour. It was the first year they had it. It was down in South Florida in the summertime. We played great golf courses because the summertime, you know, nobody's down there. We're playing really, really great places. It was in the first year they had it. I mean, it was – it, which was the only year I played, obviously, because I stopped after that. But it was it had some players. Like, it was good. One of my former teammates was one of the players, Brian Gay. And, you know, so I was a senior when Brian was a freshman. So this was my last year of playing and kind of his first year of playing uh, professionally. And there was also a guy named Steve LaMontagne who was kind of a a, a legend among the, the the regional tours down there who also played at Florida, but well before me. And I literally would play in a tournament, and I'd come off the tournament after 54 holes, and I'd be like, let's say I shot 212. And I would think to myself, when I did a post-tournament evaluation, I'd be like, well, you know, it might could have been 210 or 211, maybe. But it probably should have been about 215, and I shot 212, you know. And and my 212 was about 8 shots or 10 shots behind Brian Gay or Steve LaMontagne, who everybody knew. Those guys had futures as PGA Tour players, even though Steve LaMontagne I don't think ever really made the tour. Obviously, Brian Gay did. And that happened over and over again where I'd play well, felt like I didn't leave any shots out there. Like I got out of it all I could get, and I'm still getting squashed by the best players. That's when I woke up and said, you know what, let's get into coaching. Let's get into coaching because I just couldn't put the pressure on the golf course that you need to do to play at that level. And, and it worked in junior golf in college. It didn't work as a professional.
2: Was there someone in particular in your life that inspired you to become a college golf coach? And what were some of those things that they did or who they were that inspired you to do that?
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Cooper. So my college coach, Buddy Alexander, who's Hall of Fame coach, coach forever at Florida, was at LSU prior to that, and who I'm still very close with, great 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 friend of mine and and has been a huge supporter and helper uh, of mine over my years of a player and coaching you know it was it was I'd say if I had to point to one person it was him you know I remember having a conversation with him when I was thinking about getting into coaching and I think I I talked about like you know like a lot of people have jobs but you know you have a career you have a uh, something you can help people something that's a you're passionate about. And he kind of thought about it. He's like, you know, I really, you know, I never really looked at it that way, but you're right. And that's the way I was looking at it. It's not just, you know, Hey, let's go try to be competitive and win some tournaments, but you you have a chance to build relationships, have an impact on people and and hanging out with those young people. There's nothing like it, you know, like their families are just such wonderful. That's a great thing about this, this game, right? I mean, look at the people you get to hang out with the relationships you make, the places you go, but Buddy Alexander, I, I think, would, would be that person. And, and luckily for me, when I decided to get into coaching, he had an assistant job open up. And he literally – I mean, it's kind of a, kind of a funny story because I, I couldn't get – you know it's hard to get in. There's not a lot of opportunity, right? The Auburn assistant job opened up, and I thought, this is great. I'm going to get this no problem at all. I know Coach Griffin at the time. Yeah, I was in the SEC when he was. Got along great with him. I thought, this is, this is like the easiest thing ever, right? I didn't even get an interview for that job. That's how competitive it was. Like, I remember him calling me and saying, you're not one of the three people we're bringing in. And I was like, really? You talked about being humbled. And so I couldn't get in anywhere. So then I go to work for uh, ADP, Automatic Data Processing, right? He does all the payroll stuff. I go on their two-week training to Parsippany, New Jersey, which is great training, by the way, like for sales, right? I come, uh, when when I'm there, I come back over the weekend and I haven't gone to work yet on Monday. Buddy calls me up and he says, "Nikki Getz is leaving. He's taking a head coaching job. You want this job? And I said, oh, yeah, I want it. I'll be there tomorrow, Monday. So I literally drove to Tampa, Florida. I was living in Lakeland. My wife's in Lakeland. I drove to Tampa, Florida. I just got back from two weeks of their training. First day back, I walk into the office and say I quit and literally got in the car in my coat and tie, drove straight to Gainesville to have lunch with Buddy and meet the team that afternoon. And I want to say three days later, we were on a trip to somewhere like Albuquerque, New Mexico or something for the first tournament. You know, so that's how excited I was to get in. Like it wasn't like, well, let me think about it. Or, or I feel sorry for ADP because they put two weeks of training in me. I was like, no, I'm out of here. I'm gone. You know, and I'm so thankful that that happened because I might not have gotten in into that not happened to be honest with you.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of competitiveness and jobs in college golf. And, uh, there's a lot of good candidates out there and a lot of it, a lot of times just with any job, it's about who, you know, uh, as well as your track record and, uh, the, Great combination right there of who you knew and your track record coming together. Tell us about how that track record and your time in Florida ended up with you at Kentucky.
0: So after I played and then I, you know, like I said, I worked for a year at Hilton Head, I played for three and a half years with what I would call moderate success. You know, I was I was good enough to keep going if I really wanted to, but I also was married and kind of like, yeah, I don't I don't know that I can keep doing this and maybe be eight, nine years into it and still playing you know, these, these regional tours and mini tours. So I decided to get into to coaching and, and obviously, uh, you know, went to Florida. Was there two years, went to the University of Central Florida as the head coach for, for two years, two seasons, but really I was only, I don't know, I wasn't there very long. Like it was, it felt like it was in and out. They were way down. They'd had some crazy stuff happening there. And I kind of just came in for two years and really, you know, didn't even have time really to do much, but was fortunate enough to get the Kentucky job at that point in time. And, uh, back in the day, UCF wasn't like the UCF we picture today. It was, you really almost couldn't even afford to, you know, have a family on what they would pay you down there. And, and so, and and I also had the desire to get into the SEC or ACC or something on a, on a bigger level. That was always my goal. And, and luckily, luckily the Kentucky job came open. And again, I go back to Buddy Alexander. I mean, if it's not for him, I probably don't get it. Uh, he, you know, he, he calls up here and, and can talk to the people and you know coming from a guy that has that kind of background they listen you know they listen and uh and i would say that he uh you know and, and i must have done at least an okay job of in the interview because because i got it but but really i got to give credit to buddy for that because uh, without him i i probably uh i don't even know if i get an interview without him certainly don't get the job
2: a while back we talked with uh chip mcdaniel who was one of the better players that came through uk during your time there and it seemed like every other question he was saying, you know, Coach Craig helped me with, with this, Coach Craig helped me with that, and he just seemed to sing your praises the whole interview. Can you talk about, you know, working with him and even some of the other players that, you know, were really good under you? Well well can I can I just tell you that Chip McDaniel is is a stud, number one. He's got the clutch gene, number
0: two. He is an even better person than he is a golfer. Number three, he's also brilliant. The kid, the kid is so smart. He, he majored in accounting and just knocked it out here. You know, just knocked it out. I mean, I don't, I can't remember his GPA, but it was above three point five. You know, like it was that kind of that kind of intelligence and character and integrity. And I love his family. I'm still close with his family. I love, I love, I love everything about the McDaniel family. Like I feel like they're my family. To be honest with you. And 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 to, and to be honest with you, one thing I loved about Chip was he's bullheaded, he's hard headed, and he wasn't afraid to say something. Like if I said something, we were talking about strategy or whatever, and he thought it wasn't right, he would speak up. And I kind of like that. You know, at the time, it might have been like, hey, you know, come on, dude, I got more experience than you, you know. But then you think about it, and you're like, nah, he's probably pretty right. He was right there. You know, he, he was correct on that. He, his golf IQ is so high. And I picked up on that immediately as a freshman. I think we were at the regionals. He had a lie and I think I brought up a particular shot. I can't remember what it was, and he just literally was just like, there's no chance I can, you know, do that out of this lie. And and and, and I just started paying attention to him. He has such a high golf IQ. He knows how to play the game of golf. Not not only can he can he hit a golf ball and and, and do all their things, but you know, he, he these UK boys better be listening to him. They better be listening to him. Because he knows what he he knows what he's doing, what he's talking about. So I I could go on and on about Chip. He he is the whole family, you know. His brother Todd, his his mom and dad, Todd and Jennifer. Uh, I feel like if I drove right now and just knocked on their door at eight o'clock tonight and said I need a place to stay, they would just be like, "Here's the bedroom. What do you want to eat?" You know. And I would do the same for them here. You know, hundred percent. I would do the same thing for here. Same thing with Jacob Cook. You know, Jacob Cook, you all have had on here, who's also an assistant now at Kentucky, you know, he he he's, he's the toughest son of a gun I probably know with what he's been through. You talk about falling off the map with your golf game and coming back. I would say I've never seen anybody do what he did, never. I mean, he fell off the map, and then he was tough enough to never give up, to never give in, to do all the things that I wish I would have done when I kind of hit those skids back in college. And I never even hit him as deep as he hit him. And and for him to come back and be the team leader, the team captain, the best player on the team, do all the things that he did, I, I there was a time where I thought he would not ever play a tournament again, like literally, or or maybe not until he's like thirty five years old and he just says, oh, "I'll play the state in, you know. And he came back and ended up being a highly competitive player in the best conference there is. I mean, what do you say about that kind of character, right? That kind of backbone, that kind of toughness, you know. So I, I would say I learned. Uh, more from those guys than than, than they learn from me, just by the kind of people they are, the character they have, how they how they play the game. You know, when you're coaching guys like that, like that's those are those are dream guys. You know, those are the kind of guys that you just you just wish you could get them all like all like that because they are special. Chip and Cookie, I I just couldn't th- I I just couldn't think of two people that I respect more than those two guys.
1: That is very cool. You've coached a lot of good players at UK and I know you had a good amount of success there. You're there over 15 years. Tell us about some, tell us about your time there and especially let's start kind of from the beginning about kind of getting in that job, getting your feet under you. Cause you're when you're taking that job, you're probably not that much older than the players there. At least you might not have felt that much older. And for a lot of guys I know who come in at the assistant coach level or Something like that, it becomes kind of weird tr- telling other pretty much full grown men what to do. Tell us about taking over that job and how what that was like coming in. Well, I, you know,
0: I, I was not a tremendous amount older, obviously, but 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 also I've always, you know, when I was sixteen, I looked like I was twelve, you know, so so I, I probably looked at their age, to be honest with you, uh, even though I was a, a little bit older. But uh, it, you know, it was it was a it was a big challenge, but on the same token, it was. It was it was phenomenal because of the people that we that we had. Um, you know, Steve Smith had left some great guys on the on the team. We had great families, you know, that were really supportive. They come to tournaments. Uh, I, I got along just incredibly well with them. I mean, you hear nightmare stories as a coach of, of families and dealing with maybe dads and stuff. I didn't, I didn't experience that here. I I maybe had one dad in twenty two years that I would you know kind of not really uh appreciate and and that kid lasted one year and then we you know kind of left and, and 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 even that dad to this day i would i'd be happy to you know he texted me even before like when we were playing well somewhere hey keep it up y'all doing great so it's not like we would have a bad relationship he was just maybe a little stepped over his bounds a little bit other than that nothing nothing but supportive moms and dads who love their kids encourage their kids gave them great opportunities and so because of how seamless that was you know it really was it was um you know, it was an incredible experience. I did not have an assistant coach then. There was no assistant coach. So basically, you know, if I'm honest, I, I would say I got the job at Kentucky because it was absolutely the worst job in the SEC for, for coaching golf. It was terrible. The history was terrible. The the current success was terrible. The Now, the good news is the facilities when I came in had gotten better because we had moved to the U-Club. And and that was growing in, and that was going to be solid. That was going to be good. So that that definitely improved, and that was a big deal. The pay was terrible. I mean, it was it was the worst job in the SEC. Like there, it, like if you were, let's just say you were at that time the assistant coach at Georgia or the assistant coach at uh, Florida or somewhere like that, you you might not even have wanted it. You know what I mean? You might have been like, well, I don't know. I kind of got a better gig here as an assistant. But but for me, I wanted to be a head coach. I wanted to be a head coach in in this league, and. And so it was kind of a no brainer to move up here and, and take on that challenge. And, uh, and I just, I just loved every bit of it. And, you know, fortunately, you know, Mitch Barnhart came in and then a lot of that changed in terms of the viewpoint of, of the Olympic sports and the support we got and uh, from budgetary, from an administration, from just everything went up, uh, including the expectations, obviously, you know, went up as well. And, and all of a sudden it went from a job that quite frankly, when I, first took it I thought well you know let's try to be here three four or five years do something good and let's try to get to a, a premier SEC or AC school ACC golf program and, I, and then once Mitch got here and we had some success that changed uh, and I can remember Florida State you know calling to, to for for me to go down for an interview when they were changing jobs this is a long time ago obviously and my wife and I talked and we didn't even want to go visit you know we did, we just said you know we're, we're happy here and she's from Florida you know and we're like we're happy here we love it here and 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 we wanted to stay, you know, stay here and raise our family here. So, you know, hats off to Mitch and the administration, and all they did because they they really changed the culture for the Olympic sports in a in a way that was, I'd say, literally a 180 degree turn from the previous administration, where you know they just didn't really care, they just didn't want you to have a train wreck. Like you could finish last in every tournament you played in, as long as you didn't get caught having a, a, a DUI and, and getting in a wreck. Uh, and your kids were good kids and good students. They didn't care. You know, they didn't care. Mitch came in and the resources went up. But, you know, the expectations went up, obviously, as well. And rightfully so. And you can kind of see what's happening over there. It's been a it's been a huge improvement under under his uh, his leadership.
2: Now, UK's UK golf's definitely a solid program. And how did you take it from, you know, as you said, the worst job in the SEC to being SEC champions? I believe you guys won in uh, 2006, right? 2005, yeah, we won the five. You know,
0: um, I mean, you got to give a lot of credit. Again, you know, Steve Smith left – before he left, you know, he did bring in some guys that ended up being really good players. We end up having a, a kid or two on that team that were terrible that just got better. You know, uh, Matt Wells is a guy that I can think of. I mean, Matt's such a great story that when I first got here, I think he was a second year – so he would had one year here, he was second year, and he was he, – he couldn't even – sniffed the lineup on that team in in that first year. And that really wasn't even, you know, a a good team. It was just a pretty – probably below average, you know, team. And we redshirted him, and he kept working. He kept getting better. He kept getting better. He kept getting better. Next thing you know, that kid is now – in fact, my nickname for him is Mr. Postseason for, for Kentucky Golf because by the time he was a junior and a senior, he went top 10 SECs, Top ten regionals, top ten NCAAs, then he went top ten SEC, top ten regional, and then he didn't finish top ten in his last tournament at the NCAA championship. So we had five out of six of the postseason where he was in the top ten and he wasn't even good enough to start on a team that wasn't very good three years prior. So we, we you know we had some fortunate things happen. Some, you know, guys work hard and they get better, you know, and and he was one of them and just uh, he ended up leading the NCAA tournament, at, at, I think, after 36 holes in 2004, I think it was, and then 2005 would have been his last year when we won the conference. He played great. I mean, like we had some some good stuff like that happen, and it happens. And you know, it doesn't hurt to have a guy named JB Holmes on the roster, who you know, you just know he's going to be in the top ten or top five every single. He can play bad and finish in the top five, you know, top seven. I mean, he was that good, so that kind of helped too. I have to, I
2: have to give uh, some kudos to him. What was he like as a college player, um, and what was he like to coach? So, uh, you know, I call him John, but JB. He was a great
0: backbone for this team. You know, because he, 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 he you could always count on him for on the court or on the course, obviously, uh, and off as well. So, you know, he took care of all his responsibilities, his, his academics. Uh, and school was not something that was fun for him or easy for him, and he ended up being a really good student. He he, you know, working out, doing all those. Things. He didn't like to work out either, by the way. But he was, you know, he was in there doing what he was supposed to do. Uh, I think I think on the off the course kind of nightlife, he was the voice of reason. I end up finding out that kind of later that he was the one who kept everybody in line and like, Hey, you know what? We can have a little bit of fun here, but we're not going overboard. We're not doing anything stupid. We're not, you know, that kind of stuff. He would keep him controlled. So he, he was really, you know, a, a special team leader without being overly vocal. You know, he's not a, he's not a real extroverted kind of guy. He's, he's more of a, you know, a little bit more of to himself, you know, kind of guy. He don't, he don't like John, John don't want to be famous. He He wants to play golf and make a lot of money but he wants to walk into a restaurant and people not even know he's on the PGA tour. You know, he wants them to think he's a truck driver or something. You know, he doesn't want them to even think he's on. And I love that about him. You know, he's not the kind out there chasing the limelight and hanging with the celebrities and all that. He, that's not him. He wants to be with his family. Uh, he's got two great kids now, his wife, Erica, and he wants to, you know, play golf, you know, and I always appreciate it about him. Um, the way he, the way he what and is, was, and is, you know, with that, um, but from a golf standpoint, like, you know, he was an All-American four years in a row. I mean, he he made honorable mention. No, he made third team as a freshman. He made second team, I think, as a sophomore. He made – or maybe, maybe he made honorable mention as a sophomore. Then he made first team as a junior. Then he made second team as a senior. He, made, he was a four-time All-American. He was the SEC Player of the Year in 2005. You know, th- this guy was – just an incredible talent to coach and and to to just you know i mean be honest with you get him to the t on time and let him play man stay out of his way a little bit and let him play because that's how good he was yeah that that is literally what he was is i i could just trust him and if he needed me he'd let me know but i didn't have to you know i wasn't walking hand in hand with him a whole lot because he didn't need it he did
1: not need it it's good to have that kind of talent as a coach you know, you got to recruit talent and try to bring in talent. Tell us what recruiting was like out of UK, especially, you know, starting out at a program where not many coaches might want to go and potentially not a lot of the top players like Jesse Mudd, as you said, wasn't interested. I just
2: want to add for like junior golfers out there listening. like What are you looking for in a recruit specifically and how has that maybe changed over time?
0: So from a recruiting standpoint at Kentucky, you can absolutely recruit to Kentucky and get some great players here. There's no question about it, but you, you definitely also have to understand that there are just going to be some players that want to go to warmer weather, you know, and, and I don't, I remember Justin Thomas sitting in my office. He was, he, he grew up a Louisville fan and I'm a huge JT fan now. I know his dad really well. I know Justin, you know, well enough to talk to him if I see him at a tour event, but he, and he was—he he didn't even like the cats. Like he—he he was a Louisville guy. and He hated the cats. But he, I remember he sat in my office and he looked at me in the eye and he said, "If I stay in state, I'm going to come here. But I'm not staying in state. <laughs> you know, like he was going to go somewhere warmer. I mean, that's just—he had a full scholarship wherever he wanted to go. He wasn't—he wasn't. You know, if he'd been a Kentucky fan, okay, maybe we had a chance. You know, maybe. You know, but but you can find. Then you got guys like Chip McDaniel. You know, who was a great player. And He's a huge Kentucky fan, and, and he he's not scared of a little cold weather. You know, that's not gonna bother him. And and you can get guys like that. So recruiting here is you can do it, but you definitely have to, I think, pick your battles. I think you have to, you know, if anytime you can bring a kid from worse weather to better weather, better weather is good. So, like somebody north of here, like Ohio, Indiana, Michigan, New York, wherever. You know, we had luck with some a few international players, uh, especially Germany. They ended up being good players here, and also one kid from England named ben Stowe ended up being a great player here. And, and then, and then the ironic thing is, guys, is that you can you can go into Florida and you can get a kid out of Florida, and you can get out a kid a kid out of Georgia to come to Kentucky. And we've actually had some luck. I had I had two kids out of Florida that made all SEC. One of them made like honorable mention All American. And, and I had a, another kid out of Georgia that uh, was all SEC as a freshman. He's on the Corn Ferry Tour right now named Chase Parker. Got you know got all the way to this last event. He's not going to play in the, the very last one, but he made it to the second-to-last one on the on the playoffs. And the reason is there's, there's lots of good players down there, and there's not as many Division I, Power 5 schools. Whereas if you look at North and South Carolina, you have a lot of good players, and you have this huge – Concentration of great schools and great golf programs, those kids are really hard to get. Florida and Georgia, you can actually get them a little. I guess it's kind of like football. You know, you see how many good football players in Florida go other places. You know, golf is a little bit, a little bit the same way. From a from a, what 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 I look for, and I think what most coaches would say is there's no substitute for your record. So If you're a junior player out there and you want to get to a big school, you need to play in the best tournaments you can play in and keep getting that experience, keep getting that exposure, and hopefully bust through because I don't care what your swing looks like. I don't care what your punch stroke looks like. If you can play and you can do it in those big tournaments, you can do it on the college scene. And so your record is first and and foremost. After that, you're going to start looking at all the intangibles and try to, I think as a coach, you're going to try to project you know, what is this young person capable of? What's their ceiling? How can much they can, you know, if they, if they can put on 25 pounds and grow a little bit, they're still maybe physically immature, you know, what can they end up doing, you know, one day? Which is kind of where Alex Goff was. He was he was he he had great technique, but he, he just hadn't done a whole lot yet. And, and I just felt like, man, two years down the line with a little more muscle, I mean, this kid could be really good hitting a little further. And, and and just some polishing here and there, and and obviously you know that's that's happened with him. And then you can't forget the character piece. I mean, it, it, if you're going to play college golf, and this is a great lesson for the young people out there, you're going to spend you know 300 days a year or, or close to it with your teammates and your coaches, and it's a it's a small group. When you go to the tournament in a tournament in, in a van or or we're staying, we we rented houses all the time because my guys just love to be in a house. I love being in the house with them. It's way more uh, chemistry building than being in, in hotel rooms. Uh, and usually the houses you rent, you know, they have a pool table or a ping pong or a, or a hot tub or something. So that was kind of our thing. And, you know, that one, what, just one bad egg can really ruin that. You know, it can really ruin that. So we're always looking for people that are going to be great teammates. And, you know, we called it being their brother's keeper, that were grateful, that had high desire, had high character. You know, those things treat their parents the right way. You know, I can remember a kid that was a terrific player. I'm recruiting him. I saw the interaction he had with his dad on the 18th green after the round, and I literally never recruited that kid again because I thought, if he's like that with his dad, what's it going to be like with with us? And I just well, just walked away. and I never texted, phone called, nothing ever again. You know, just because of that interaction I saw right there, I thought it was you know quite disrespectful. You know, and 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 that's that's not going to fly in our you know in our our culture, and cert- certainly in golf. I mean, it's such a small close knit group. You know, you gotta have people that can get along and not everybody has to like each other, to be their best friend, but you gotta have that trust and that respect so that you can have the chemistry that you want on the team.
1: You talked a lot about players who have come in, been not that good, and then have found a way to get better or who have struggled and then got it back. For players who came in that were really good, but just didn't meet what you would have projected for, for them or what you would have hoped for them. What do you think are some of the Distinguishing factors or reasons why those guys struggle sometimes for players, you know, it's just like that's luck to a degree. Like, just some th- sometimes you lose golf and it goes away from you. But for those that were wasn't just random, random misfortune. What kind of pitfalls should people be on the lookout for? Yeah, I think I think
0: the biggest one, and and I don't know that there's you know, there's not a direct correlation here because obviously. You couldn't figure out any direct correlations on somebody really good coming in and maybe not meeting their potential. But there's a lot of distractions in college, as you guys know. There's a lot of time management issues when you become a student athlete and you're going, you know, from working out in the morning to classes to trying to eat really fast to getting out to the golf course to then trying to eat fast again because you have a tutor at night. And, and it feels like you're on a, on a treadmill that's just going really fast and eventually that slows down and you figure it out and, and it's like' it's, I always compare it to like a quarterback you know they talk about going to the next level everything's fast and then things kind of slow down It's the same thing with the time management side on, the, on a student athlete you, everything's so fast it's hard sometimes to get to the golf course and just be able to relax and focus and if you then throw in the other things the distractions that we all know the socially you know social side of it, I think you can really spread yourself in. Uh, you cannot be as well-rested. You cannot have the focus. You know, we would always say, we would always tell recruits that there's there's time, there, there's three things in college that you're going you're gonna to experience. You, you, you've got the academic side. You've got the athletic side. I'm talking about if you're a student athlete, obviously. And you have the social side. And there's just enough time for you to be great at two of them, two of the three. There's really not enough for you to be great at all three. And, and you've got to pick the right two. And, and if you don't, I think it's really easy for that golf to, to kind of get off. And the next thing you know, your confidence goes down. You know, you might have a kid that's way far away from home. They're out of their network. And like that's, that was my case at Florida. You know, I was kind of out of my network. And, and so I didn't really have that to, to kind of support me, lift me up. And, you know, maybe my slump wouldn't have been as long had I been, you know, at a school closer. I don't know. It's, you know we'll never know. But, but the bottom line is those distractions in college are real. And you've got to be mature and, and be able to handle them. And the guys, the guys that, that that can just put the blinders on and do what they're supposed to do, they give themselves the best chance to succeed. And I'll tell you this in college golf, I can't tell you how many times you see a player come in, and, and player A and player B, player A's better as a junior player by a long shot over B, and B ends up having a better college career than A. It happens all the time. Now, some of that, you know, golf, you, you tend to you know bloom a little later, so. Maybe if you're 16 or 17 and you kind of hit your, your peak and the other guy, you know, he catches you in college. But I can't tell you how many times uh, between being at Florida and being here at Kentucky, you, you've seen that. Or even just looking around at our conference in and, an individual in golf, you're like, Who, who's that guy and how is he so good? You know, Josh Teter's a perfect example. You know, Josh Teter is a perfect example. Right. And and there's just so many examples that happen like that, that, you know, you got to stay, you got to stay hungry and humble. I don't care how good you are coming as a junior player. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean squat when you get to play against these guys that are, that are, that are now men, not just, you know, a junior player waiting on your mom to bring you a a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and a Gatorade on the, on the 10th tee box. You know, that's, that's over, you know, it's time, it's time to be a man, handle your responsibilities Take care of your academics so that when you're out on the golf course, whether you're practicing or playing, uh, competing, you can have peace of mind and do the best that you can do. And, and you know what? If you don't do as great as you can do, then at least you can look yourself in the eye in the mirror and not have any regrets. And that's worth a lot. I know. <laughs> yeah, I know from experience. That's worth a lot to be able to do that because, you know, like I, t- like I said earlier, I mean, I still have regrets from that stretch in the middle of my college career where I, d- I couldn't, you know, I can't look myself in the eye and be proud of how I handled that.
2: We've talked a lot about your playing career and your coaching career, and you've recently started a new business. So I'd like you to talk some about that and how that came about. So so basically, you know, when I when I got out, you know, trying to figure out what I'm going to do. And I love this
0: game and I love coaching and I love being with young people and I love I love everything about it. and I wanted to see if I could stay in it, you know so there's a little you know a little niche business out there that started a, a number about twenty years ago from a great friend of mine where he just does he does consulting with junior players that are you know trying to help them navigate from where they are to get into a college placement is a goal you know so all, all anything that guidance wise you need from tournaments to what instructors are use to to the working outside of the equipment side to contacting college coaches. You know, and, and so I, uh, you know, and he's this this guy John Brooks his name is you know he's a great friend of mine, and and so we'd stayed in touch, and 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 he really enjoyed that, so I I saw that as a possibility, but I I still wanted to coach, you know, so so I'm doing that. It's called Brian Craig Golf. It's just you know BrianCraigGolf dot com, and Brian with an I, and I, so I have two I have a couple of different levels. One is where I, I will just do that consulting like that, and I'll help in every way I can. I know you know basically everybody in and I know as many people in golf as probably anybody in the college world so so I, I can be an asset there and I can help navigate those waters for uh, for those people but I also have a higher level where I do coaching and do that consulting and the the coaching part is what you know really excites me because it because I want to help people play better golf and and I'm not trying to compete with swing coaches so I can teach the golf swing, but that's not my forte. If somebody's young and they and they don't have a swing coach, I can do that. But if they get to a certain point, I'm gonna steer them in the direction of somebody way more experienced in that than I am. Because those swing coaches, those swing teachers, that's what they do every day, all day, right? I mean they, they stand there and they teach the golf swing all day, every day. So they're they're really good at it. And and I I don't wanna compete with those guys, but they're seeing their players in a static environment flat lie, maybe in a stall, hitting a six iron, hitting a driver, that kind of stuff. I'm going to be seeing them like I always have in, in all these years of coaching, which is in a dynamic, you know, fluid situation of competing and also training. And, and so my goal with it is to – I'm going to help with everything, but I think the highlights are going to be 100 yards and in – it's going to be course management. It's going to be how to t- properly train every facet, every facet of the of the game. It's going to be the mental and emotional side. It's going to be using the modern day analytics, the stroke scan analytics, to help figure out how to, to to figure out where you need to practice and where you need to, to to train better. It's going to be you know walking a practice round with them, maybe even caddying for them. You know, in a tournament when you're allowed to do that. It's going to be helping them how to play golf, not how to play golf swing. And 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 I hope I can enhance the relationship they have with their swing coaches because I'll see them in that different environment. And I may be able to relay something back to that swing coach, just like I would in college. The same exact thing. All these kids, for the most part, had had swing coaches and be able to say, hey, you know, I know you you, you might not be seeing this on the. Flat lie, sitting in the range. But here's what's happening in competition when trouble's on the right, or or when the wind's left or right, or whatever. So that hopefully I can enhance that relationship because because I think everybody needs a great swing coach. I mean, they, that's a huge part of the game, you know. But the how to play golf side of it, you don't really get as a junior player, and you don't get it until you get to college and you have a college coach who hopefully is is good at it, uh, or these tour professionals, you know, who have guys on retainer. And they can just come out to the tournament and walk with them a couple practice rounds and stay on the range with them. You know, they're not having a one-hour lesson and paying, you know, $150 for that le- They've got them on retainer, right? And so, so that's what I'm kind of trying to do is, is have a small group. It's going to be small. It's, it's not going to be big because I couldn't do what I wanted to do if it was big. You know, I, I'm not interested in, in spreading myself in. I'm interested in having real relationships, hopefully helping people grow and get better, and then and they get to the point where they get to a, a college that they, that they can thrive at, and and then and then hopefully these kids want to play you know or at least I'll have some that want to play beyond college as well because those are the kind of players that I I mean I love working with great players that's 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 fun you know that's really fun to watch an Alex golf if you ever sit there and watched Alex golf play eighteen holes of tournament golf it is impressive I mean it is so impressive how good this kid is the control he has of his golf ball and, and, and like, that's the kind of guys you like to be around. Right. I mean, that's, that's fun for me and I hope I get to keep doing that with some great, you know, competitive junior
1: players. Information asymmetry is something definitely that golf suffers from, and especially people who are new to it or who don't have family with that kind of experience, you know, figuring out how to get to play in college, figuring out where you fit in at all that, all that can be, Extremely opaque even if you're even if you 're an okay junior player or a solid junior player and you want to level up your game it 's not necessarily clear how to do that unless you have the right resources and it sounds like you 're going to be a great fit for a lot of people uh providing those right resources because I know and especially if you haven 't gone through it or gone through the process, it could be it 's very theoretical and i 've had people come to me after i 've gone through it all ask me, Hey, how XYZ, X, And I say, well, here's here. I'll t- I can tell you how to do it. It's, it's not hard per se. It's, it's actually relatively simple how to do it in the sense that you have to work hard and you have to have the right people. But for most people, that's a that's a lot of times a deal, a deal breaker to a degree, like getting, getting good enough to, to play golf at some level, at least in my opinion is, generally feasible for a lot of people who are already playing junior golf. It's it's whether they're willing to spend the time and willing to willing to get the resources to help. So it sounds like that's gonna be something really cool for you to help develop. When it comes to getting players out on the course, that's something I think you harped on that I think a lot of swing coaches would appreciate. And if they don't, they should. Which is, and it's something we've talked about a lot on here. You can't play. You don't play golf swing out on the golf course. You got to play golf. And while golf inherently has technical components in the sense that you're swinging the club the entirety of the time, it doesn't mean that that's what you should be focused on. It's kind of the feedback that you're going to be able to give swing coaches is good. Tell us of what you're going to be looking at when a player is playing around a round of golf. What are you going to be? relaying back to a swing coach or to some other person or like a trainer or something to that extent what are you going to be looking for
0: yeah so so i think the you know the first part of that question is is obviously i'm going to be doing everything i can to to coach these players and help them you know, be able to, you talk about tournament golf, uh, you know, course management, have a game plan, have a practice plan going into that tournament so they can, you know, tournament uh, preparation, obviously, and they can prepare properly and give themselves the best chance of of success. From a, from a me being able to, to watch them up close. And whether I'm walking with them catting or whether I'm just kind of right there watching, man, I mean, you can learn so much, you know, for example, you you don't have any idea how many times these young people have no idea that their body language is terrible until you're able to, to to show them whether it's using a video or it's having somebody else come in that they know that trust and say yeah yeah man you you really looked like you were you know just having a miserable time out there and just you know sloughing around and you know looking like you you, you weren't, didn't even want to be out there right so so it, it, there's can be some feedback obviously to the parents. Uh, That's another thing I'm gonna do is coach these parents. I mean, like, you know, I was fortunate in the UK. I had a lot of great parents that got it, but I I know the other side of it too, and I I've I've seen how it can ruin a kid and it can sap the joy right out of the game of golf for them. And I and I can think of numerous examples. I never would obviously bring up any names, but you know, it can't. You know, it's got to be the kid driving the bus. Uh, The the parent. It can't be for the parent. It cannot be for the parent. But 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 also obviously I'm going to be relaying back I think to the to the swing coach I mean that's going to be a big part of it is is to be able to you know for example we just signed up a young man in Boston the other day and I've already done a conference call with him with his swing coach who's a very experienced instructor with good players and 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 so that we can all get on the same page about things and then in fact I've I've even had a one on one call already with that swing coach so I can be more educated on how I can help him. When he does go play some of his tendencies, some of the things I can look for that I can see when they're playing tournament golf, because listen, there's, I think it was Hogan, right? They said there's golf and there's tournament golf and they're not the same. They're not the same. And, and i've had swing coaches before like a kid leave a lesson and get in swing coach be like man this kid's gonna play unbelievable this week you know we're leaving in two days or whatever and the kid goes and plays poorly and the swing coach can't he can't understand how could that happen i just had him in the stall he didn't miss a shot or i had him on the range he didn't miss a shot but they're not seeing all the other stuff they're not seeing the decision making the control the emotions the body language the maybe they're that maybe they're a little bit timid. Maybe they're not. They're steering it. They're holding on to it. They're not letting it go. The 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 expectations getting in the way, you know, and then that affects their their mindset if they don't start off properly in a tournament or like they think they should in a tournament. And and the swing coach, they're not seeing that because they're not walking fifty four holes and a practice round in a tournament with that young man. So it's not their fault. Their their job is hugely important on the swinging technique. But we need to have a model in there where where there's also these young people can get some help on the golf course and how to play golf and how to train effectively. Because, you know, like I was growing up, I, got, I went and got a lesson from my instructor and he was great. But then, you know, I just went about, you know, hitting balls. And, you know, and for me, uh, I, I hit wedges really good. So what did I do? I hit a bunch of wedges. You know, I, I didn't I didn't focus enough on where I needed to get better if I was ever going to really make a, a, a dent in this game. You know, I could sit there and hit wedges all day long because it was positive. It was great. I loved it. I was good at it. But five irons, mm, I didn't really want to do that, you know. Well, I should have been doing that. I should have been doing more of that anyway, you know, because in, at the end of the day, that's what held me back you know, being able to put pressure on a golf course outside of a hundred yards. I just couldn't, you know, I couldn't do it. And, and maybe I could have, if I'd have focused more on that and been a little more aware of my practicing and my training and how to do it, as opposed to just, Hey, get a lesson. You fixed your right elbow. Now just go, go, go play, go hit balls, go whatever, you know, as opposed to having some plan with a purpose and then getting some feedback so you can adjust and keep improving.
2: Yeah. I think, um, Daniel and I can both attest to having the same conversation with our swing coach a lot as junior golfers it's like go in after a tournament say what'd you shoot like well no (laughs) i hit i hit in the water (laughs) on 18 or I three putted three times like nope what'd you shoot like what'd you shoot yeah you got to be able to know what you shot and you kind of got to be able to look at it and say like you know this is why that happened it's just really tough for the swing coach to kind of get both ends of that
0: uh, uh, and, and honestly, in all fairness to a lot of the swing coaches, you know, they don't have time for that. Like if they've got all these kids are teaching or all these kids and adults are teaching and, and, and as soon as the lesson's over, the next one's there, you know, then they got to go home with their families. They can't be on the phone all night long with 30 different, kids that are at tournaments or 20 at tournaments, you know, they, they don't, they can't do that. I'm going to have a small enough group that I can do that. You know, I I want to be the coach that if a kid's at a tournament and he's played two rounds and something's really bugging him mentally or the hole or the shot, call me, call me at nine o'clock at night, call me at 10 o'clock at night. You know, let's talk through it and we'll see if we can do something to help you be a little bit better the next time, you know, the next time out. And I also created a, a little, you know it's very simple but it's I think very effective and it's a it's an app I call it an ACR which is after competition review which is basically just modeled after what the military does when they call uh, you know an uh, after action review aAR but it's some questions to answer that makes the student be reflective so that they can pick up a little bit of what happened physically and mentally and emotionally in that tournament and then we can talk about it so you can have a, a recap talk whether it's you know these kids, whether it's face to face, or it could be you know a video call. Bottom line is, you, you go over it, so then you can hopefully learn from your mistakes, and also pat yourself on the back. By the way, of what you did well, you know this game will beat you up enough. You don't need to just focus on the negatives, and and then you can we can help train the next week or two before the next tournament hopefully get better at some of those areas that that the what we call the improves, you know, where you need to improve, you know? And so I'll be doing that with the students as well, which I, you know, I would do with our, our college guys. And, and, and those are the things I love. Like for me, there was two things in college that I love the most. One is walking with a player during a round. Like it, there's nothing, there's nothing like it. And, and, and my best memory of college is walking with Chip McDaniel, 54 holes. I walked every single hole with him at the SEC championship. In twenty, I think it was sixteen, and he he ended up losing to a kid from Georgia. Uh, I can't remember that kid's name now. He was a great player who ended up having some health problems. or probably be on tour right now. And but they were tied with two holes left. I mean, it came. It, it was you know, he ended up that kid ended up making two bombs, beating by two in the last two holes. But man, we had the best time in the heat of the battle, making decisions, talking through things. Like to me, that was that's that's the ultimate. And the second thing is one on one in my office, one on one in my office where it's talking about a life event or it's talking about uh, the last tournament and, and doing that evaluation or it's talking about, you know, the recap bef- of the fall before they go to home for Thanksgiving. Like to me, those, those that's that's what I feel like I was best at. That's what I enjoy building those relationships. And I want to keep doing that. You know, I, I, that, I just feel like that's the way I'm kind of built. And and that's what I want to keep trying to do. So hopefully, hopefully, we can make it work with this business.
1: That is really cool. And I think there's something you said earlier that I want to come back to. You said, you know, you could work with a player uh, on their swing for a little bit, but you'd find someone that would eventually be a home for them to help them get better. If someone came to you and said, "Look, I'm trying to find a swing coach. What should I be looking for in a swing coach?" What would you tell them?
0: Yeah, I think first the first thing you're going to do is identify how they perceive themselves to work best with somebody. Are they the analytical, technical person? Are they J.B. Holmes and totally feel oriented and and don't really want to know all the data and all the the different kind of uh, details that can be given in the lesson? And then once you kind of identify which side you're on there, then I'm going to, through my experience in this game, I'm going to say, okay, here's a few guys that are like this. Here's a few guys maybe that are more on this side, and then I'm going to talk through it uh, in fact, I just did this with a local kid the other day, uh, a, a, a good young uh, girl player who's going to play in college uh, one day. She's still in high school. But, and, and then I think what they're going to end up doing is, is they, we narrowed it down to a couple. And I think they're going to they're probably try a couple. Uh, just a couple, though, not more than that, and see who they gel the best with and, and, and hopefully then go and have that relationship, you know, with them. You, you think back of uh, – I had a kid named Ben Stowe, great player, um, you know, has played on and off of the European tours from England. You know, he was pretty technical, you know, like he had a swing coach in England and he'd send him back videos and they were drawing lines and they were doing all that stuff, and, and, and that's the way his mind worked. And he was pretty good at being able to shut that off and play when it was time to play. You know, Lucas Orler, another another really good players playing professional right now that made all SEC for us. German kids. Same thing. Like he, he could do all that and had the capacity to turn it off when it was time to play. So I I, I taught J.B. Holmes. I helped him with his swing through his uh, rookie year on tour because he came. He's one of the few guys that came in with no swing coach. I mean, I mean, this kid this is not a kid. He's a man. But when he came in. Like He's just the rare phenom like Chip that really didn't work with anybody, didn't have any lessons, and just could strike a golf ball, right? Could just hit the center of the face and was so beautiful technique-wise that they didn't need any help through junior golf. I ended up helping JB in college uh, because, he, like I said, he didn't have anybody. And, I, and I, I would help him with his golf swing when he needed it all the way through his rookie year on tour. And then uh, Matt Killen took over. And that was a perfect relationship because Matt's out on tour all the time. I'm trying to coach a college team. i got young kids at home. I can't – you know, I went to the U.S. Open with him his rookie year at Wingfoot and spent some time with him. And, and you know, he was hitting it poorly going into it. And, you know, he did all right in the tournament. I think he led the field in greens and regulations. regulation. That's not a credit to me. That's a credit to him because all I had to do was tweak a couple things in his setup and he's back flushing it. I mean, that's that's literally how simple it was with J.B., and Killen, I know, has done a great job of keeping it that way with him as well. Where he might have Trackman out, but he doesn't tell he doesn't tell me anything. You know, he, he might just say one little small thing, but he's not telling John. And John doesn't want to see it. You know, most most kids would be walking around there. Well, let me see my path and this. John's like, no, I don't want to see any of that. Like, look at that shot; it's perfect. Why would I want to change that? You know. So so he was real simple like that. And, and, and not changing the technique of his swing a lot because he just had a swing he was born with that was God-given that he had since his dad would say since he was three years old, and it really hadn't changed, and it works, right? So I think you're a fool if you change that, right? You're, you're crazy if you change that much, you know? So you, that, that would be the parameters to do it, and it's not an easy thing to do. I went
1: through a few swing coaches myself trying to learn how to hit the ball better, so I, I, I know what they're going through. Absolutely. I think that's a perfect wrapping point. To get to our last question, which the last question we ask every guest is the same, and for you, it's going to be two parts. One, if you could go back to yourself as a junior golfer and tell yourself just one thing, what would that one thing be? And two, if you could tell a junior golfer just one thing, what would that one thing be?
0: Oh, that's good. those are good questions right there. Um, I would say, Daniel, if I could go back to myself at that time, I would. I would say you have got to make your your ball striking a priority and you've got to make it a, a point of emphasis to, to get better and be intentional about it. Because like I said, like we talked earlier, you know, I can, I could scrape it around and, and, and still play well on that, at that, at that, at that level, junior golf. Cause I was, I was, I was really good from hundred yards and in And, and I, so I would, I would say, listen, like it, you know, we, we didn't have the modern day analytics back then. And everybody used to say short game, short game, short game, short game, short game. And yes, that's true. You're not going to win without a good short game at the highest level. You're not going to win unless you're a good putter at the highest level. But here's what we know now: you're not even in the conversation if you can't strike a golf ball. You're not even you're not a, you're not a member of the club. Okay, you're just over here. Like I wasn't a member of the club. I was a pretender when you get right down to it, because I couldn't strike the golf ball to put pressure on the golf course to end up doing anything past the college level. You know, and even at the highest level, in the college level, it wasn't like I was going to win the NCAA championship. You know, because I couldn't hit it well enough, you know. And, and so now we have the modern day analytics and we, we see if you pick up John uh, Brody's book or Mark Brody's book, I'm sorry. Every Shot Counts, I believe it's called, where he's the guy that invented all these strokes game data with the tour users now with the shot link data. And you see how important driving and approach play is. And you see when somebody wins that, yeah, putting goes elevated. They win that week, putting goes elevated, right? But, but you see how important ball striking is to the success of a competitive player. So I wish I could have known that and bought into that a little bit more to be frank and with you because I I could spend all day doing short game. And and I needed to be doing I need to have a better balance in my training, right? You know, with junior with junior players, you know, I'm assuming a lot of them know that now because we have the modern analytics and we have the, the we know the truth now. Scotty Scheffler is number 1 player in the world and he's not in the top 100 in putting. And I'm not saying putting's not important, because it is. But how are you the number one right player in the world you're not top 100 in putting if ball striking's not the king? You know, if, you know, He's a member of the club. He's the leader of the club, actually. You know he's in, He and Rory probably are the leaders of the, of the club. But for, for junior players, I would say, if you really want it, if you really want to go get it, then I, I would ask them the question, are, are you willing to put in the work, and are you willing to sacrifice? And, 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 I, and by that, I mean, you know, growing up, I was I was at the golf course. My friends were at the lake skiing, you know, hanging out summer I was at the golf course. So you're willing to sacrifice those kind of things. Are you not going to be able to go? You're going to be okay saying, you know what? I, all these social things, I'll get to do a couple here and there. But if if I want to go all in, it's not just the working hard. It's the sacrifice. If you have to be able to say, you know what? This is more important to me and I'm going to go do this. And I think at the end of the day, if you buy into that and you go after it, like, like so many of these kids have, like I did, you find out that it's not even a sacrifice. It's actually a benefit because you just learn so much that maybe just being at the lake hanging out, you didn't, you didn't learn, you know, about discipline, about work ethic, about attitude, about body language, about how to get along with people, about how to compete, you know, about how to, how to chase excellence, you know? And, and so it's not really a sacrifice, but, but when you're that age, you think it's a sacrifice because your social life's important. And and you think, you know, being with your friends is important. At the end of the day, you're going to gain more by going all in in a sport like golf or any other sport. And, um, and, and quote unquote sacrificing, you're going to gain more than, than, um, than you're going to lose. I can promise you that.
1: That's perfect. Well, we appreciate you joining us. If people want to find you on social media or find your new website, find your new business, where can they find you?
0: Yeah. So I, I, listen, so I'm not a big, you know, social media guy. My daughter's having to help me with this stuff, but, uh, the website is simple. It's just, you know, com. Very simple. briancraiggoff.com my my daughter just helped me create an Instagram account that is the same thing as Brian Craig Goff but i haven't posted anything yet uh and i think the same thing with Facebook there's a Brian Craig Goff on Facebook too but i haven't really you know so i'm going to get to to putting we we've just kind of started rolling this out i mean literally i kind of took a break in the summer and now i'm back at it so So hopefully we'll get some more stuff out there, but the website is up and running and it has a lot of good information on it. And it certainly has a way to to contact me if anybody wanted to, to schedule a call,
1: be sure to check out coach Craig's stuff. And if you're listening to us on Apple podcasts or Spotify, please subscribe and leave a rating. And If you're listening on YouTube, please like, and subscribe. This helps more people learn about tournament golf, more people get better at tournament golf. And if you are looking to find us on social media, you can find us on Instagram at the tournament code and on Twitter at tournament code. As always, we appreciate you taking the time to check us out. Look forward to diving in deeper what it takes to play elite tournament golf.